Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. My backyard? Did you bug my bug-infested backyard this weekend? No, this this is just one of the many sound effects I have in my sound effect library. And you might be wondering, why in the heck, Greg, would we start the show off with probably one of the most irritating sounds in the world? I'm not wondering at all, because the mosquitoes were aplenty in North Kildonan this weekend. But I understand that depending on where you are in the city, they may not be all that bad at all. No, in my corner of town, uh, they're not virtually non-existent, actually. That's Tristan Field-Jones. He's in for a vacationing. Brett McGarry, I'm Greg Mackling. We will be here until Friday, Friday afternoon. Come on down to the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia on St. Mary's Road. We had a great time last Friday. Tristan, I know you're looking forward to Very being a part so. of the mayhem <laughs> on Friday afternoon. Once again, Clay Young celebrating a birthday today. We want to send him all the best wishes in the world. Our colleague here at Six City Seeds, you'll be so great to have Clay back. Yeah. So, and it's great to have you back. Thank you, Greg. I have a fun time every time I'm filling in for either yourself or for Brett McGarry. Brett enjoying some much-needed holiday time. I think it's another staycation for him, but I'm you sure... Know, lots of golf involved exactly. without any question. So the mosquitoes, as mentioned, uh, were pretty bad in my backyard. Mentioned that in the newsroom this morning. Jeff Curry said, weren't bad in my neighborhood at all. So we waited with bated breath. Mm. For the mosquito trap counts that are released every morning at 11.30 at the City of Winnipeg on the Public Works website. And the trap count, for me at least, equals the slap count. Oh, boy. In my end of town, the trap count was about 68. Citywide, the average is only 19. And the southwest part of the city is really good. They divide the four quadrants into sub-areas. And southwest, one, two, three, four, five, nothing over seven in the mosquito uh, trap. Southwest six had 20. That's closer to the river down maybe around, uh, it looks like uh, University of Manitoba there in southwest seven, two. So the average for the southwest quadrant is only seven. In the northeast quadrant, it's 29. So you can see the variation. And uh, city overall, they're calling it a medium AFA uh, factor, adult deciding factor analysis level, very scientific, is a medium or 19 for the city of Winnipeg. So Ken Nolowski, is that how I say it? Ken Nolowski will join Shadow Davis tomorrow morning at 845. He's the city bug guy, and uh, we'll get some more in-depth information. But send us a text, 780-6868. How was the slap count in your part of the city over the weekend, I know up at the lake two weekends ago over the long weekend, they got really bad uh, at dusk, as they are apt to do. That's a time mm-hmm. when they are most bothersome. And then to have that happen in the city on Friday and Saturday night was a was a little frustrating. Well, and, and my kind of theory about why it's worse in the northeastern part of the city is, and, you know, not far from where you are, Greg, is that uh, you have the whole Harborview Park and there's plenty of water there. Sure. Uh, I don't know how much of that is standing water, but there's plenty of small artificial lakes and ponds, and some of that must be uh, mosquito breeding grounds, I'm sure. And, I mean, I'm in the southwestern part of the city, and there's not even in um, some of the newer suburbs, there aren't some of those artificial lakes they put in there. There's very little in terms of that, so... That's uh, kind of why I'm thinking the northeastern part is way worse, but who knows? 
tornado and mosquito expert. Tristan no, Field not, Jones. Not an expert in mosquitoes. It's just a, just thinking. I could be totally wrong, by the way. <laughs> Greg says, uh, Wolsey, 1.3 billion count. You counted all 1.3 billion. That's very impressive. Greg's very dedicated to any craft under which he, <laughs> he, he, he takes and, and, and sets his mind to. So thanks for that, Greg. 780-6868. How are the mosquitoes in your neighborhood? And off the top of the show today, we've got a jam-packed program. Kelly Keene, it's Money Mondays. We're going to talk about TFSAs and also how to encourage your kids to save money. How to put make that part of who they are. And it, you, you pointed at me, Greg, for financial advice? Yeah, because you're a big <laughs> fan of the TFSA. I'm a huge fan of the TFSA. Uh, I I think, without getting too political here, I think that's probably the best thing that the Harper uh, government did for finances. Uh, I think it's a tremendous way, and I've, I've got a fair amount of, of money saved away in TFSAs. I think it's a fantastic way to save your money and to keep it there for a rainy day. And I think you re- the returns you get are way better. We'll, we'll delve into that way more later on in the show, but uh, I think TFSA's fantastic idea. And if you haven't been on Google today, check out the Google Doodle, and we'll tell you what that commemorates later on in our program. And we will also go to British Columbia, the forest fire situation there, uh, not devastating in terms of human or structural loss yet, but it could get that way as uh, almost 175 new fires overnight between, I think it was Saturday and Sunday, has the entire province under a state of emergency. Some radical conversations being had about how do you deal with this, including some upgraded uh, fines and possible jail time and other ramifications for those that like to flick cigarette butts out of a moving vehicle. We'll talk about that later on this afternoon. We'll go to uh, Vancouver and our partners at CKNW on the West Coast. Well, and, and just you look at Fort McMurray as an example, which is, uh, I believe, is officially the costliest natural disaster in Canadian history. Mm-hmm. And even the day of, even the morning of, they were, of course, concerned about the wildfire, but uh, there were some evacuation orders in place, if I recall correctly, but they did not expect it to become the, the, the disaster that it ended up being. And it just goes to show, when the conditions are right, how quickly these wildfires can can get going. And it's you know you look at these these beasts for lack of a better word. And no, how, that's the that's the word they used, right? Well, isn't for, that the, isn't that what they Fort called McMurray, the Fort McMurray yeah. fire? The beast. And you just look at these and think, man, that must take forever for something to get that big. But you, you know, when you look at the reality, conditions are right, dry. It's it's a, it's just incredible and terrifying how quickly it can get out of out of control. Without question. So we'll discuss that later on. We also want to get to really in the short term here. A post from the RCMP of Manitoba on their Facebook, but I just want to share the feedback at 7806868 already with regard to mosquitoes. The lizard in East Transcona said not one mosquito to be seen here. Let me look at the map, see how that matches up here. NE7, well, NE7 is pretty high. NE5, that's also... Yeah, that's Transcona. So maybe you're getting uh, lucky there, Lizard. Appreciate that. I'm close to the back of Birds Hill Park on an acreage with horses last year at this time. The mosquitoes were so bad in the evening, you could not be outside this year. We have virtually no mosquitoes at all. Thank you for that. Keep sending the feedback. We want to see if the slap count matches the trap count because it's the slap count that matters, right, Tristan? That. 
you know what, Greg? I think after the show, you need to go to the city and say, I've got a new marketing campaign for you. <laughs> just get people in different yeah. neighborhoods videotaping themselves. And or, here's the slap count from, have, from, from Westwood. And here's the slap count from Garden City, that sort of thing. Yeah. Or, you know, are you wondering what the trap count is? Is your slap count higher than the trap count? We update it every day at 1130 a.m. on whenever it may be. I like Try the way you're thinking. Like I love it. We have something here. And I have a clip that any opportunity to play this clip from this movie, I will take it. Thank you very much. Joker wants the race. Don't race. That's ridiculous. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down. You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way. What? You're going the wrong way. That, of course, from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Steve Martin and the late, great John Candy. When they're on the freeway, they find themselves going in the wrong direction. And, of course, John Candy's a little bit arrogant. How do they know which way we're going? It doesn't matter which way you're going or your destination, partner. Uh, You're on the wrong lanes of traffic, going in the wrong direction. Of course, they very quickly realize why that's a bad thing. The RCMP posted, uh, I guess it was on Thursday last week, and it's created quite a stir over the past few days, uh, Tristan. On July 5th, the PAW RCMP traffic services were patrolling Highway 6, approximately 60 kilometers south of Grand Rapids, when a red SUV was locked on radar traveling 173 kilometers per hour in a 100 kilometer per hour zone. The driver was charged with speeding and failing to provide a driver's license to police. Her excuse? She was in a hurry to deliver flowers. She now has to pay $1,119, don't forget the 10 cents, in fines and was served with a serious offense notice. If the story and the post itself isn't interesting and thought-provoking enough, some of the responses to the post have been all of that and then some. And I think uh, what we'll do, Greg, is uh, because we spoke to RCMP briefly I think after the break, we'll play the full interview we did with Tara Seal uh, about the fact that, um, you know, we we tend to think of social media as kind of uh, the good and the bad come with it. But one of the great things is how many criminals are willing to out themselves. (laughs) And we'll chat about that afterwards. We find this a little bit of a safe place to confess all our sins. Well, the RCMP Facebook page Maybe not the place to do that. We'll talk about that with Tara Seal, the RCMP, and we'll get your feedback as well on speeding in Manitoba. Tristan, I know you have your own experience from this past weekend to uh, pass along to us all, and we'll have a discussion about how you feel things are going on the highway so far this summer. Are people going faster than ever? What are you willing to confess on 680-CJOB? 204-780-6868 is the number. He's Tristan. I'm Greg. Uh, Just before we move on to our highways, City Councilor for North Kildone and Jeff Browati just sent me an email. He says, hey, Greg, not sure why there isn't a account for Northeast One. That's one of the quadrants within the northeast corner of the city. He said he was uh, spreading four yards of mulch in his yard over the weekend. My slap count is high. 
Fog, baby fog is the hashtag from Counselor Jeff Rawati. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate uh, always the interaction with you. And uh, we're getting some text messages at 780-6868. Clanda boy Craig says Skeeters are not bad up in his part of the world. We promised you that conversation with Tara Seal. Math is not our strong suit here at Mackling and McGarry. No. And Tristan Field-Jones you are continuing the tradition, so appreciate that very much. But we'll play Tara Seals' in for, uh, interview at one thirty-five. You drove out to Kenora this past weekend, and you made an interesting observation. I did, and this ties into this uh, to uh, the the original story here of again our RCMP have been making a bigger deal about posting extreme uh, uh, speeds that they've caught drivers doing on the highways. And this was actually a couple weekends ago, Greg. This was Canada Day long weekend where I was driving Highway 1 east of the city to the Ontario border, and I've driven down that highway many times. I'm sure all of us have gone to the White Shell countless times before. And I was doing... Normally, I'm not the slow driver. I am usually do the speed limit or maybe a bit above, and in this case, I was doing 110, and I was absolutely amazed. I was with a few friends of mine. The, the, the number of cars that I passed, far fewer than the number of people who passed me. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say the average speed of drivers there is close to 120 on that highway. I think you're right. And I think 120 has become the new 110. And and I, I looked at this. And even when we approached construction zones where speed finds double, I mean, there's nobody there. because. But even at that, those cars weren't slowing down. And and not that the speed limit was dropping, but just the mere fact that, hey, your speed, your fine could double if you're caught in here, regardless of what speed you're doing. It's not, Nobody was slowing down. So... I mean, part of me is wondering, well, where's the enforcement? I mean, it's a hundred uh, kilometer an hour speed limit mm-hmm. between there. But another part of me really wonders, you know, we, we, we define speed limits based on the 85th percentile of drivers, right? What are 85% of drivers doing on that road? That's how most speed limits are calculated. Now, within Winnipeg, it's a much more complicated issue because you have so many varying streets. But out on the highways, especially divided highway like the Trans-Canada, our speed limits there are too low. I mean, you go to the U.S., uh, and we let's use the interstate system, which is brilliant. Um, in North Dakota, the speed limit there is 75 miles an hour, which translates to 120 kilometers. And so, I would be fine with a 120 speed limit. However, mm-hmm. in Manitoba, on the Trans-Canada Highway, you still have dozens of provincial roads that intersect, bisect, and merge onto the Trans-Canada Highway. Now, the merging, not an issue. But when you have turns from a dead stop and you don't have acceleration lanes in place, 120, way too fast, people are inconsiderate of one another. Mm-hmm. When Even when they see ahead, I was uh, on my way to East Selkirk for baseball on Saturday afternoon, went over the interchange at 59 and 44, observed an individual coming on to... Northbound Highway 59 from 44. I don't know from which direction. Doesn't matter. But I moved over into the quote-unquote passing lane in order to let this individual merge into the flow of traffic. There was someone in front of me, someone in front of him, and not far away there was someone in the shoulder with their emergency signals on. Well, had I been in the... In the travel lane, not the passing lane, I would have moved over for that Mm -hmm. individual because that's what you're supposed to do. Right. 
And this individual in the in the travel lane, the through lane, was angry at me because I was in the passing lane, even though I'd only moved over in there to be considerate and to allow well, him to yeah. get up into speed. So there is a lot of misconception about how you're supposed to handle the interstate rules in terms of merging and getting on and off something that resembles a freeway, which 59 and 44 does, never mind the way people take chances turning onto these busy highways when they know that there's an opportunity and the likelihood that people are going 100, 110, 120, people just make that turn. So yep. I'd have a hard time endorsing that idea of 120 without acceleration yep. lanes at every single intersection. And, and that's that's a big part of it too, is that we don't have... I think partly is that we don't have the infrastructure that's properly in place to do this. I'd be very curious, and we're already getting texts at 204 780 and we'll run that interview with Tara Seal after the 130 News, Tara Seal of the RCMP. But again, I'd be very curious to know, do we need more enforcement on highways? And again, I'll use TransCanada as an example. And is it also a combination of the fact that our speed limits are outdated? I'd love to hear from people out there because, like I said, I was doing 110 and I was the slow one. And and this was not, I was flabbergasted at the number of people who were doing 120 or even higher than that. 204-780-6868. We'll stack your calls now. And when we come back, Tara Seal will talk about why it's not necessarily the best idea to shoot your mouth off. Those are my words, not hers, on an RCMP endorsed slash managed Facebook page. We'll talk about that when we come back. He's Tristan Field-Jones. I'm Greg Mackling. This is Mackling and McGarry right here on 680 CJOB. Tristan Field-Jones, Greg Mackling with you. Uh, Brett McGarry on holidays this week. Brett, hope you're having a fine day off. A couple days in a row here. Brett will be back for the Couch Potatoes this weekend. And I don't know if he's on his regular news shift on Saturday or not. I hope he's not. He'll be back in the studio with me on Monday afternoon at 1 o'clock. On July 5th, the PAW RCMP traffic surfaces were... Surfaces? Surfaces? Services. Services were patrolling Highway 6, approximately 60 kilometers south of Grand Rapids when a red SUV was... Locked on radar, traveling 173 kilometers per hour in a 100 kilometer an hour zone. That resulted in a $1,119.10. I wonder where the 10 cents comes in. (laughs) Fine. And uh, also, the driver was served with a serious offense. Notice the excuse, uh, trying to deliver some uh, flowers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're inviting your calls and your text messages on this. Tara Seal, RCMP, we spoke to her earlier. We'll play our interview with her because many people admitting on the Facebook page that they, um, oh, I've gone faster than that in my car. And we're also discussing the idea of speed limits overall. Are they a little bit too low or are we just not as respectful as we need to be? Here's a prime example in this text message at 780-6868. Go up to Lactobani every weekend. Double lines don't mean a thing anymore. Milner Ridge is 90. 110 is the norm. Pass on corners, etc. No one pays attention to lines on highways anymore. Thanks for that text. To me, the biggest complaint I have is about in the unusual situations when you have curves when you have slow down to 80 at the intersection when you have merges when you have yields when you have all these things those that bugs me way more than going fast 
What bugs me is when people aren't smart about the way they drive and they just they just look ahead, put the pedal to the metal, and away they go. Those are the sorts of things I'd like to see more enforcement on and the construction areas as well. I know people get frustrated with the idea, but you know what? Well, when it's 70 on Highway 59 through the construction, 70 70, yes. not 90. No, absolutely. I think fair enforcement for the construction zones right. would be because, again, I think you have a tough time saying it's for safety when there isn't a worker around on a Sunday afternoon. No, I disagree with you because sometimes those roads have been artificially shrunk with pylons. So now the shoulders no longer exist. Oh. So there's nowhere to pull off if you have an emergency. You have to take evasive action, absolutely. which is more. Uh, dramatic in a high speed. There's lots of reasons other than for workers oh, no, no, being I, I, present I when they shrink those when they shrink the uh, speed limit in the construction zone. No, Tristan. I absolutely agree with that, but it needs to be clear to drivers because, unfortunately, what anyway the message that I we keep getting is oh it's for the safety of the of the workers, but you know then we get a controversy about that. We've got a phone call though. Yeah, Kevin's been waiting very patiently. Hey, Kev, thanks for the patience. What's your take on this? Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Um, well, I'll tell you what, I'm a professional driver over 20 years. Besides that, driving for uh, uh, numerous years. <laughs> but um, the speed limit's the speed limit. The reason why we have it set at 110, I don't know if you've done more than 110 and been in an accident, man, it's not the greatest thing in the world. Number two, when you're hitting those speeds at 120 plus, I'll tell you what, let the other provinces deal with it. Let the other, let down in the States deal with it. You want to do that? You want to drive that? That speed? Go there. We don't need that here, especially when you're going out to the lakes and you've got families with children. You want to know something? You're speeding. Leave earlier if you want to get there earlier. There's no need to speed. And instead of a buck ten, you know, you're doing 120. Is that extra six to ten minutes going to be the biggest difference in the world to you to shave off time? And not let alone, who knows if somebody's going to cut up in front of you and you're going to get hit from behind, sideswiped. Nobody's judging. Who knows who's drinking and driving either? Keep it at a buck ten. And for the construction zones, that's there for everybody. You don't know what's on the roads. You don't know if there's debris on the roads. And you don't know if your tire is going to pop or what it might happen when you're getting those lanes shrunk and you're coming on to oncoming traffic. It's just the smartest, safest thing to do. People out there, use your heads. You want to get out there early? Leave earlier. Don't speak because it ain't worth it. And it ain't worth getting killed for and it's not worth killing somebody else for either. Now, Kevin, I have to ask you this, though, because everything you said uh, makes sense, makes perfect sense, and yet we still have people doing 173, which is, I don't think anybody, I think you can make an argument for maybe increasing speed limits, but I don't think anybody would justify doing 173. Now, here's my question to you. Do you think that maybe part of the problem is that our infrastructure on our roads isn't good enough to support some of these high speeds? Do we need, like Greg was mentioning, do we need better acceleration lanes? Do we need more uh, interchanges and more overpasses? Or is it simply put, just drive better? Just common sense, man. We have the speed limits there. There's no reason to raise the speed limits. Why do you want to do more than 110 kilometers an hour if your front wheel, bra- if your front tire snaps or one of your uh, joints go, or if your tire falls off? You really want to be doing that speed when that happens? Do you really want to increase that speed? No, you don't. If anything, we keep it at 110 or lower. That's it. I don't know if you've seen an accident where tires have come off or vehicles exceeding the speed limit have gone into a ditch or into a tree line or uh, just start flipping because something's happened. You know, 110 is where it should stay. 
I feel it should be probably about five kilometers less. Take the extra time to get to where you're going and pay attention. Somebody's doing something stupid beside you, write down the license plate and the time and the date. That way it's admissible for a court of law. Kevin, great call, my man. Appreciate it very much. 204-780-6868. Before we get to Terraceal, I want to get to Eve. Eve, pretty sure uh, you're driving a big machine yourself right now. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, yes. You have I always have a great take when we uh, start talking about traffic and, and uh, safety on the highway, so we're going to give you the floor on that. Well, my main issue is on the perimeter highway. If you're trying to follow traffic, even in the big trucks, you better be doing a good 110 on the north perimeter because these cars are just crazy. They don't give you any room. You put your signal on, and it's like, oh, it's a pretty flashy light. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you go to Toronto, three blinks of the blinker, and you have room. They know to get the heck out of your way. You know, there's, I, there's I have no the, respect. Well, that's it. And, Eve, I always say, if you're going to cut me off, at least have the courtesy to put on your signal light. Well, if you cut me off and I got no room and your trunk disappeared under my hood and I can't see your blinker, you're dead. How, how, <laughs> how, big, is, how big is the uh, rig you're driving right now, Eve? Oh, it's a Peterbilt. I can weigh up to 100,000 pounds fully loaded for those non-metric people. That's, uh, yeah, if, if you cut off a rig that size, good luck, because that's just... I'm not just... stopping. I'm going right through. No, of course. And, and I mean, not to mention, with all that weight on board, it takes you that much longer to brake. Oh, that's exactly the problem. We have decent brakes, but we still need to stop. Yeah, people, people don't realize they... how they're gambling. Well, the perimeter highway is the worst, because if you look at all those crossroads... Look down at the road. How many number 11s do you see? It's all people that are last second turning and then leaving their trunk hanging out on the fast lane. And then somebody sees it last second. There's almost a pileup every time somebody turns left because they don't know to enter that tiny median and leave the traffic behind them. They have no concept of how big your vehicles are. Yeah, you know, I always say uh, it's not... A lot of the times, it's not what's going on in front of you that we neglect. So many people are horrible at estimating and understanding what's going on behind them and, and the precarious position you're putting other drivers in and yourself because you don't know how to tuck your rear end in these giant medians that have been created not only on the perimeter but other places throughout the city. But it was just not thinking sometimes. No, they're not thinking. And uh, the infrastructure desperately needs to be upgraded because these crossroads, I tell you, I'm shocked that there's not more accidents like on 75 today. Yeah. And that was just, I'm sure, inattention of somebody. Yeah, and we're hearing uh, that there uh, might have been uh, no seatbelts in use by either individual involved in that uh, now fatal crash. Eve, thanks for the text messages, and thanks for being safe out there. I'm glad you're on my side. <laughs> no problem. I don't want to hit anybody. You got it, brother. 780-6868. We do want to get to this conversation we had with... Tara Seal. Uh, you want to set it up for us, Tristan, and uh, bring us in? Uh, if you're hanging on the line, hand tight, we will get you at 780-6868. So, uh, simply put, we spoke to Tara Seal of the RCMP about this story of, uh, again, RCMP, uh, they post a lot of information about excessive speeders, and we're not talking doing 10 over the speed, we're talking 196, 173, speeds that are completely ridiculous. And so, uh, myself and Greg had a chat with her about this, and the fact that other people were posting, were bragging about breaking the speed limit? 
I love the RCMP and Manitoba Facebook page. A, a lot of interesting stuff posted on there. Sometimes it's humorous, sometimes it's educational, and sometimes it's a mixture of both. And I don't know which category we put this under. Educational for sure. This idea of letting the public know when you uh, catch people going way, way, way too fast, including uh, 60 kilometers south of Grand Rapids uh, last week clocking it at 173 kilometers per hour in a 100 kilometer an hour zone. And uh, you got a lot of reaction from that post. We sure did. Yeah, we, uh, uh, you know, it was close to 200,000 people were reached and lots and lots of comments. Yeah. So this results in a $1,119 fine for this Grand Rapids, Manitoba individual. Uh, Could there be other charges coming or stemming from a speed this fast? Indeed, yeah. We, um, she was also served with a serious offense notice. And with a serious offense notice, uh, the individual will be going before the court and the court will uh, take jurisdiction from there and decide if there's going to be further uh, penalties. You'd like to think that these cases of going way above the speed limit are, you know, out of the norm and not don't happen too frequently. And yet there's other examples of like a 21-year-old driver, 196 kilometers an hour just outside of Brandon. Is this getting more frequent or is this just a matter of it happens to be bad this year? You know, I I don't have the statistics on that, but I I can say anecdotally that, you know, we have started sharing these, so it seems new to the readership and those that are following us, but this isn't new, unfortunately, for our officers on the road. Individuals sharing some of their own exploits, offering up details about how fast their own vehicles have gone, and of course, uh, the odd uh, winky emoticon attached to that. How good an idea is that or isn't that, Tara? I'm assuming you mean to post that on a police Facebook page. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So ultimately, you know, it is Facebook and people feel a little higher of a comfort level in communicating in, in that forum. But this is an RCMP Facebook page. So it is a police Facebook page and the police definitely use social media as an investigative tool. So, you know, we welcome comments, of course, but we, those comments sometimes are communicated with investigators for sure. So, you know, while some of them are lighthearted, well, some of our own posts are lighthearted. There's a serious message under all of this. And in this one in particular, I mean, the dangerous behavior of this individual could have killed somebody. And we're trying to keep people safe on the road so that they could get home safely. That's the serious message here. And I think also if you look through the comments on the page, while some of them are bragging about high speeds that they go themselves, there is a response there from the public saying, you know what, this isn't this isn't right. This isn't cool. We don't accept this. We don't think this is funny. You know, um, you could have killed me. You could have killed someone I, I love. There could be serious consequences here. You're at 780-6868. Let's take a couple, at least one before the break. Michael, go ahead. You're on the air. Hi. So uh, my name is Michael. I just came back from Washington, D.C., and the roads are absolutely immaculate, and they um, are able to sustain uh, higher speed limits because of perfect roads. In uh, Winnipeg, I'm just embarrassed at the potholes, and uh, I live in Windsor Park, Archibald, Autumn are terrible, Provence, they're just ripping up. I take my life into my hands every time I get onto the road in Winnipeg. I, I don't understand why we can't spend more money and make actual military roads like they do in the States instead of having the junk that I have to drive on in the city. Instead of having a centimeter of asphalt, maybe make something that's designed glass, uh, 
instead of making something that's designed to repair every two years to maintain jobs for uh, the construction workers. It's just ridiculous. Well, and it's interesting you mentioned that, Michael, because I just happened to be looking on Google Maps here, and I was comparing sort of the American interstate. Uh, I-29 is the one that comes directly from Highway 75 here in Manitoba. And the way right. they handle intersections is amazing. Here we, we're okay with streets going right onto uh, the main highway, and yet every single time there's even a minor road, there's a bridge, there's an interchange, or if it's not busy enough, they simply build, you know, an underpass or an overpass there. I and, can't tell you how many times I teach at the University of Winnipeg, how many times I've seen semi trucks on Archibald, Autumnwood, and on Marion Street. These uh, trucks are extremely heavy and they wreck the roads. Why can't we ban all semis from Portage Avenue? I see them on Portage Avenue. It's absolutely ridiculous. Why can't Canadians get their act together with roads? You know, it's a great point, Michael. Uh, we appreciate the call. Call back anytime, okay? Uh, some really sure. valid points there. Uh, part of that is the you know the way the city's been not planned over the years, <laughs> right? Not planned because yeah. you had seven cities competing with one another for jobs and industry, and so these industrial parks are not in ideal parts of the city. And all of a sudden, you're using infrastructure. Uh, that's not designed, not built properly uh, to support these gigantic uh, semi-trailers. We're ha- going to have to leave it there. We're uh, really out of time here. We are up against the clock uh, like nobody's business. So we'll take a break, update your weather forecast, come up and wrap up the hour. It's Greg and Tristan. Lots of people hammering on the infrastructure. That That's a big part of why driving in Manitoba can be difficult, can be unsafe, and why higher speed limits maybe aren't necessarily a really good idea. At this rate, well, and and let's use, I think, the worst example of bad infrastructure is the, uh, if you want to talk it from a city perspective, look at uh, Portage Avenue and Route 90. When you're coming from Portage Avenue to turn onto Route 90, there's no acceleration lane or deceleration lane you just head right into traffic and if there's snow banks that make it almost uh, that make it almost impossible to see good luck you know that worked that design might have worked in 1956 when they were putting together route 90 it's outdated does not work now it's an no. absolute disaster and, and it's, there. it's a very similar on our highways too where we don't have proper acceleration or deceleration lanes and and just take take two minutes and look at Google Maps and look at Interstate 29 in North Dakota and you'll see how they handle intersections and highways there. Our climate doesn't allow for good roads. That's a common uh, comment from people. It's time to start taking vehicle and driver's license away from people who disobey the law. I find the problem with cars on the road these days is there is a short... Between the seat and the steering wheel. I had to read that twice to get the joke there. There's a short. <laughs> it's called the driver's suck is I think what the, this individual. I didn't say that. That's what the texture said at 7806868. I want to know why vehicles aren't governed at 130 to 140. Also had a text in here about Highway 6. My brother uh, has a cottage up at St. Laurent. My dad lives up there uh, in the summertime as well. And uh, that Highway 6... One lane in each direction, the odd passing lane, some crazy curves. They've changed some of that uh, over the years, but uh, Highway 6 is bad too. 120, 130, not uncommon. We'll take our break and we come back. It's Money Mondays with Kelly Keene. I'm Greg, he's Tristan. I'm Greg, he is Tristan in for a vacation. Brett McGarry, we will be here until 4 o'clock this afternoon, at which time Richard Cluche and Julie Buckingham will take over the studio. They'll get you home informed and safe. Traffic. Weather, sports, news, business, you name it, they've got it. 
They'll get you home four till seven every weekday here on 680 CJOB. And of course, don't forget our good friend Charles Adler, nine until midnight. Tristan, you and I like to talk about finance. We've done yes. that probably what we've known each other six, seven years now. And we, we've been talking about that probably since the day that we met the idea of yep. investing and how to spend your money, how to, how to be good with your money. Uh, you're way better at it than I am. Uh, but my philosophies, uh, I should put into practice a little bit more. And now I'm starting to listen to you. Are you really? More than I am. I hate to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, do tell. How are you starting to listen to it? I'm well, actually kind of curious. Well, the reason that we're talking about what we're talking about today with Kelly Keene is mm-hmm. the fact that I know you're a huge fan of TFSAs. Yes. And I am, I have to admit it, Kelly, I am ignorant on TFSAs. I haven't exploited these to their maximum. Let me admit that I don't even have a TFSA account. So that's why I wanted to talk to you about those today. Kelly Keene joins us now, personal finance educator consumer advocate with the Financial Planning Standards Council. Her website is Kelly, Kel, e, Kel, E, of course it's Kel, E, K-E-L-L-E-Y is what I was trying to convey. Uh, Keen is K-E-E-H-N.com. So you can slap me on the wrist uh, over the miles here, Kelly. I, I do not have a TFSA. You know what, Greg, you're not alone. Happy Money Monday. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Hi, Tristan. Hello. Uh, let me ask, Tristan, what, what what do you love about the TFSA? Oh, where do I start? Uh, I love the fact, I mean, a tax-free savings account. I love the fact that it's you can put your money in there and there's no taxation. There's certain limits, of course. Yeah. But it, it, I love the tax-free part of it. It's a fantastic way to save money and to not worry about, uh, you know, if you really need it and if there's a financial emergency, you can pull a bunch of it out and not worry about it being taxed. I think that's, it's the tax-free part, I think, is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And Greg, I'm not going to slap your hands because you know what? You are not alone. So many Canadians do not have a TFSA. They don't have an RSP. We're not, as a country, taking advantage of these government benefits like we should. So I'm so happy we're talking about it today. Let's dispel a few myths, first of all, for your listeners. I really wish that the government did not name this what they named it. Oh, that's an interesting point right off the bat. Because it's called a tax-free savings account. A lot of Canadians will be walking by their bank or see a little advertisement online, and it says, oh, I don't know, you know, you can get 1.75% in your TFSA. And they think, ah, that's horrible. Why would I want to go in something, you know, paying so little? Um, So that's the first thing is understanding what this animal is. And it's not an investment. It's not an account like the government named it. So let's back up a little bit. Because I know we've got a couple of minutes. Let's just back up. Now, if you go and buy any kind of an investment, a GIC at the bank, a stock, a bond, a mutual fund, let's pretend that those are your cars and, and they're just parked on the street. If you have a car that's parked on the street, you got to pay tax on it every single year or when you sell it, okay? If you put your cars... Again, GICs, mutual funds, stocks, bonds, whatever. If you put those cars in a garage, they have special tax treatments, okay? 
So we've got a couple garages in Canada. We've got a RRSP garage, a registered um, uh, retirement savings plan. We have an RESP garage. That's a registered education savings plan. That's for your kids. And then we have a TFSA garage, which is a tax-free savings account. Again, wish this was not called an account. So those are your main garages in Canada. If your cars are parked in there, they get different tax treatments. So this tax-free savings account, it can be account at your bank, but as Tristan was saying, it could be stocks, it could be bonds, it could be mutual funds, you name it. And if those cars are parked in that garage, they do grow tax-free. It's the first time we've ever been able to say that anything grows tax-free. If the cars are in the other garages, they grow tax-deferred, but you still have to pay tax at some point. For the RESP, you pay tax uh, when your kids take that out for their actual schooling, the idea is that they're going to be in a lower tax bracket uh, because they're not earning income. And for the RSP, the idea is that when you're taking that money out, it's going to be at retirement, and hopefully your income is, is less than when you're working. Uh, but those you still have to pay tax on. But there's some bells and whistles with those with the RESP. You get a nice uh, government grant. With the RRSP, you get a tax deduction. So if that's not confusing enough, um, which it can be really confusing for Canadians, but I I hope the car analogy helps a little bit, uh, Greg. But uh, maybe we can talk about why you haven't, which a lot of Canadians have not opened this brilliant, brilliant account. Yeah, I don't know why I haven't, Kelly. And I think it's because of one of the reasons you mentioned, because of what it's called, there isn't, I think there's a belief, and at least it was for me, so I'll talk from personal experience. There was a belief on my side until I delved into this a little deeper with Tristan and my good friend who lives out in BC, uh, John, we were talking about this over the last few weeks, the (laughs) idea that you can buy different products within that TFSA. (laughs) And I think you're right, Kelly. I think, uh, for me, and if it's for me, that means it counts for at least one other person out there, if not hundreds. Uh, the idea that this is more than just putting your money in a bank account or a GIC. Yeah, exactly. And and that, again, that's why I wish it was named like a tax-free savings plan. I think Canadians would have been like, oh, it's more like the RSP. So, you know, and this is the thing. We've talked about this on your show before. It's really tough for Canadians. Canadians self-diagnose. They forget to go and see someone like a certified financial planner to help them go, hey, you know, do I go into that? Do I go into the RSP? Do I go into, uh, you know, pay down the mortgage? It, it can be very confusing. And then let alone what investments now should you have within those shelters? So um, let's just go through a couple of the TFSA basics, though. Sure. The great thing is, so with an RSP, you have to have earned income. You actually have to have income to put that money away. There's a lot of Canadians that, uh, you know, maybe they got a gift from their parents or uh, they're retired and they still want to shelter money. You, you don't have to have earned income like you do with the RSP. So when it started out, you could only put $5,000 a year in. Then the Conservative government uh, raised that one year to $10,000. Uh, now it's back to $5,500 a year. But the great thing is if you've never opened one up, you get to use all of that room. So every year that you are allowed to put all that money away, if you did not take advantage of it, you have that. So let's say you got a nice gift or a nice bonus or something at work. 
Um, as Tristan said, it grows tax-free. You never have to pay tax. If you, you know, uh, bought a stock or a mutual fund and it went gangbusters, you don't have to pay a cent on that. But I know some of your, your listeners are saying, oh, what if I did really well on a stock or a mutual fund? Can I move it to the TFSA and not have to pay tax? No. You have you to per, you have that. to purchase the, within that vehicle uh, uh, initially. So how far back can we go, Kelly? That piqued my interest. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but not at all. I, no, I heard not you at say, all. They how started far- in, in the year two thousand and nine. So, yes. like I said, if you've never uh, opened one up, you've got all that room for wow. each year that you can go in. Um, lots of great information on financialplanningforcanadians.ca. Another website that's really great is Get smarteraboutmoney.ca. That's what I'm basing these basics of the TFSA on. Um, Yeah, so you can buy all kinds of things within there. You can open this up at your bank. You can open this up at an online uh, account. You can open this up with your planner. Um, You can put just a few dollars a a month in, like a lot of banks and and online um, uh, banks and and brokerages. You can maybe get in for as, as little as $25 a month, $100 a month. You don't have to put the $5,000 a year, 5500 that it's up to now. Um, and like Tristan was saying, the great thing about it is that you don't have to make a commitment that this is for your retirement. It could be, it could be for your retirement, but it could be for saving up for a car, for home, or for, for different things. See, the thing, guys, when you go into an RSP, the big benefit is that you get that tax deduction, but the problem, too, is if there's any, any inkling that you're going to be able to, you're going to have to take that out before retirement, you're going to have to pay tax on that, unless it's for your, your first-time home buyer or going back to school. There's a few things that you can use your RSP for. So lots of flexibility, lots of options. Uh, if you haven't started one, you know what? Maybe just uh, think about opening one up and just, you know, 25, 50 bucks a month. You'd be surprised how quickly that adds up and maybe you'll find more money to throw in there. Well, and, and Kelly, one of the great things that I love about the TFSA is, you know, we have kind of your typical savings account that you can get at your bank, but your rate of return might be, you know, one, one and a half percent, which really isn't much. But because the TFSA can be used for so many different things like stocks, you know, like GICs, mm. mutual funds, that rate of return could be far greater than 1.5% or whatever it may be. Now, not, it won't nece- it's not necessarily guaranteed, but it certainly right. could be. Yeah, and that's, that's a really great point. Yeah, so that's the misnomer again, is that we see the banks and, and other organizations, financial institutions, advertising this uh, account within the TFSA. But you're right, if you, if you did well, if you invested in a great portfolio of equities, let's say, these are stocks, um, uh, ETFs, mutual funds, what have you, that increased and they did very well, yeah, I mean, that just means that you're not going to pay any capital gains tax when you take it out. So certainly a lot of advantages there tax-wise for, for, for planning for other things. Um, you know, it's, here's two where it's a little uh, bit of a, the, the name confuses Canadians as well as they think, well, should this replace my bank account? Like, mm. seeing it's a tax-free savings account, uh, it's not really recommended by most experts to use it as a replacement, let's say, for a savings account or even your emergency account. This isn't really something you want to be dipping in and out of. Now, if you were getting paid 15% on your bank account, then sure, the tax-free savings account would make sense. But most Canadians are not really making any interest 
on just their day-to-day bank account. So um, it doesn't really make sense to replace your, your regular checking and savings account. We'll take a break here, Kelly, and when we come back, we'll uh, wrap up this part of the discussion on TFSAs, if there's anything else you want to add. And we're going to dovetail that into the idea of encouraging our kids to save. What are some strategies to kind of get it into their head that that's something needs to be part of uh, their lives? Sound like a good plan, Kel? You got it. Kelly Keene, she's standing by. We'll be back with her in just a moment. The website, Kelly Keene, K-E-L-L-E-Y. Keene is K-E-E-H-N. I'm Greg. He's Tristan. It's Mackling and McGarry. Kelly Keene is with us. It's Money Mondays. We're talking about TFSAs, uh, a name that uh, Kelly doesn't like very much. I, won't, I was almost said detests, but uh, I didn't want to put a word like that into your mouth, Kelly Keene. TFSA, a tax-free savings account. Maybe this should be more thought of as a tax-free savings vehicle or a tax-free saving product or plan. And uh, maybe we can start tooting the horn for that, Kelly. We have a text message here at 780-6868. Where did it go? It just came in while we... Here we are. So if you get a gift of 5G, he said 5,000 G, that would be nice. Five (laughs) grand. (laughs) And pull it out of your account into cash, will you have to pay tax on it? Okay, so that all depends where it was coming from. If it's just sitting in a savings account, you're paying tax on that every year, and it's probably, you know, such a small amount, it's not going to be a big deal. But if that gift were coming from someone or you're taking it out of your account and it was a stock or a mutual fund or something of that sort, there may be tax consequences. So, yeah, uh, you know, give a call to the account that it's in and uh, that financial institution will let you know approximately what the tax will be. And I guess really what it is, is once you move it and get it into that vehicle, that's when you exercise and and generate the benefits of the tax-free part. Right, exactly. So remember, all of these things are tax shelters. In and of themselves, they're not an investment. So again, if you've got uh, those investments just parked outside the shelter, uh, you pay tax on them every year when you sell them. If they're parked in the shelter, then they have special treatment. But to get them in there, you may have to pay the tax to then get them in the shelter. Uh, so that can get a little complex if you're dealing with large sums, you know, a lot bigger than, than, than the 5G. Uh, maybe you might need a tax planner. Uh, so um, definitely don't go that alone. Um, because the, and, and don't go it alone either in, in over-contributing to these plans, um, these tax shelters, because that can have big penalties too. So be careful when you are investing, when you're getting into these. And, uh, I mean, definitely check them out. Don't sit on the sidelines, but get the right pros to help you, too, to make sure you're doing the right thing. Now, uh, Kelly, and you you kind of touched on it there a little bit here. Yeah, as great as the tax-free savings account is, there are limits imposed by the government on this. Uh, wouldn't mind uh, delving into that, because I'm sure there's people out there interested saying, oh, I'm going to dump all my money in there. Well, you can't exactly do that. Yeah, exactly. So for the tax-free savings plan, I haven't added it up, but uh, starting in 2009, you were able to put in 5,000 a year. Then it went up to 5,500. There was one year that the conservatives allowed us to put in 10. Now it's back down to 5,500. So you add that all up, and that's what you can dump in now if you've never opened one up. Probably about 35 to 40. Be careful that you don't over-contribute to these things because there's big penalties of a percent a month. 
if you, you know, overgo into it. So same thing with your RSP. Sometimes people get a little overexcited. They get that, uh, you know, RSP loan and, and top everything up. But um, you want to be careful that, yeah, you're, you're looking at the, all, the, all the consequences, the, the, the financial planning, the retirement planning, the estate planning, the tax planning, because there's different, um, you know, there's, there's different advantages and disadvantages in all of these tax shelters and also advantages and disadvantages of staying on the sideline, not doing anything. So obviously Tristan's mom brought him up right. Nice. He's a saver. He's an investor. He uh, is conservative in, in what he does, and, and he measures everything. Bef- he, he measures twice and cuts once, as my <laughs> grandfather used to say as a carpenter. He uh, doesn't uh, make mistakes. At least he tries to limit his mistakes. How do we instill that in more young people, that idea that being financially conscious is a good way to be? Yeah, and I think a lot of your listeners, especially those parents that have a few kids, will say, gosh, they can come from the same family <laughs> and view money so differently. Oh, yeah. um, yes. <laughs> right? Yep. Like, I mean, I, I know my brothers and I, we're all so very different when it comes to money. We all grew up in the same household. So it's not just, you know, how what decisions and, and, and what lessons you imparted to your children. It's helping them make those responsible decisions as well. Like, not just the finger-wagging of, you got to pay that credit card every month off. That's what my mom said to me, but my mom failed to mention what would happen if I did not pay my credit card off every single month. So Tristan, I had a mom that taught me really well too, but I loved spending money in my 20s and uh, she didn't tell me what would happen if I didn't pay it off every month. So, you know, really having that conversation with with your, your teenagers and and, and the youngsters in your life to say, hey, look, here's some financial calculators. Let's get on. Because this is the big mistake that adults make is they don't get on a calculator. They don't get help. They just go, ah, I'll make that minimum payment or whatever. And they don't see the magic of compound interest. And, you know, Einstein said that it should have been one of the eighth wonders of the world that, it, you know, those who get it have it and those who don't pay it. And when you see something like a big mortgage, a lot of people just, you know, they get that mortgage, they initial beside the interest payment that says they're going to pay a couple hundred thousand in interest over the life of the mortgage, and it's just such a big number, we can't handle it. We throw the mortgage document in a drawer and just whatever, hope that it goes away one day. Our our kids are watching that, right? They're watching that behavior. So it's taking these teachable moments and okay, maybe you don't tell your kids exactly what you make and maybe you don't go through all of your debt with them. But having a conversation like, hey, mom and dad's mortgage is coming up for renewal, what does that mean? What does it mean to negotiate an interest rate? What does it mean to pay your principal down? Um, you know, you don't have to share with them exactly what you owe in a credit card uh, balance, for example. But like, hey, let, let's get online and see what a minimum payment means and what it means to actually pay a couple dollars more a day and how much more quickly uh, you can get that paid down. Like, guys, paying your minimum payment is such an issue in Canada that our government legislated banks a couple Mm -hmm, years ago mm -hmm. to actually put on the credit card (laughs) statement, if you only pay your credit card minimum payment, this is how long it's going to take you to pay off. And I've seen some of those statements that Canadians have shared with me that show it was going to take them 82 years to pay their credit card if they only paid their minimum payment. 
Kelly. So we're obviously not paying attention as, as, as adults. And if our kids see that behavior, it's one thing to teach them in school. I hear the outcry of people all over the country. You know, why do we not have more financial education in the schools? Yes, that's important. But if they come home and mom and dad are living up with the Joneses and, and spending beyond their means and stressed out financially, they hear, see, and feel that. Um, so it's part education from parents and government and schools, but it's also sitting down and making it tangible with those youngsters in your in your world. Kelly, outstanding stuff. We appreciate mm-hmm. more, and you know we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Thanks, gentlemen. Enjoy. Cheers. Kelly Keene, it's Money Mondays with Kelly. K-E-L-L-E-Y Keene is K-E-E-H-N.com. You see her all over the media and so fortunate to have here have her here every other Monday. I'm Greg, he's Tristan, it's Mackling and McGarry. Like I need another reason to go to the Half Moon. One of my favorite places anywhere in the world, Tristan Field-Jones. Are you a hot dog guy? You like hot dogs? Uh, I'm not a huge hot dog guy, but uh, you talk about Half Moon and I think milkshakes and I think I want one right now. Mm. Well, we're only halfway through the show, so that's going to have to wait. Tristan Field-Jones in for a vacationing Brett McGarry. I'm Greg Mackling. We're here till 4 o'clock, 1 till 4 every afternoon, including Friday when we will be at Santa Lucia on St. Mary's Road, the rooftop patio. We had a great time this past Friday afternoon. Most people were there in spite of us. We're hoping some (laughs) folks will come down on Friday afternoon upcoming and pop by and say hello, have some delicious pizza, lots of other food options as well on the magnificent rooftop patio. Mm -hmm. And if it's a little bit rainy and the weather's a little dicey, no big deal. They have a retractable roof. want to thank Kelly Keene for joining us on Money Mondays, as she just did in the last half hour. Her website, one more time, Kelly Keene, K-E-L-L-E-Y, Keene is K-E-E-H-N.com. She's a personal finance educator, consumer advocate with the Financial Planning Standards Council. All sorts of fantastic advice on that website. And the feedback from you, uh, you know, you were talking, we always talk a little bit more off the air, and mm-hmm. this whole whole idea and if i'm sharing too much here it's too late because i'm going down this road Uh i'll be respectful though sure because of how careful you are with your money you don't have a ton of credit cards which makes you ironically for different uh lending and borrowing products less attractive to those that are trying to lend their money out it it seems almost backwards It, it does and and you know one particular instance where this happened to me and i thought to myself just look at my payment history. Look at the fact that I have a mortgage and I haven't missed a payment. And yet, you know, it's like, well, your credit isn't very good. I mean, really? I mean, we, and then we wonder why so many people have debt. It should well, be perfect. Because we reward bad spending behaviors. Nothing against credit cards. And I use them all the time for internet purchases. But those are small things like iTunes or or maybe games online. But it's it's just, it comes to that sort of stuff. And you you might pay all your bills on time and you're not and you're penalized for it because you're not accumulating credit. Yeah, credit equals debt at yeah. times. Uh, someone at seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight a listener says just straight out two words plastic death. Uh, someone else saying, I only have a prepaid credit card. Good for you. Another listener says here, my brother uh, Kelly mentioned that can be very different financial attitudes even mm-hmm. within families. She says my brother would. Uh, step on newborn babies to pick up money. I kid you not. And then a second follow-up text, and he would sleep just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I was that bad. I am financially uh, prudent, but uh, not. I don't think quite to that extreme. My brother, Kevin, was amazing at 
you're too old, or I'm too old to remember these, you're too young. The Royal <laughs> Bank had these books that you could get, and it was for saving dimes. That's when a dime kind of meant something. Right. And it was a big book, and when you filled the book, I think you had $5. It was 50 dimes. Well, my brother would save book after book. Me, if I had like 10, 12, 13 dimes, that was a green light to go to the store and get some hockey cards. So... <laughs> Hit some hockey cards or pop or whatever or it is. Whatever, right? Typically hockey cards. And you're but, thinking, what do you do with all those dimes? Why don't you, like, your hockey card collection is pathetic compared to mine. Yeah, Come on, man. Kev, uh, some of your dimes may have, in fact, purchased some of my hockey cards. Maybe. Just, just, just maybe. Maybe, there right. Is a we chance just, of that. that was a long time ago. Memories get fuzzy, right? <laughs> I love this job uh, for a lot of reasons, but uh, one of my favorite reasons is that uh, it gives some of my friends from my past an excuse to get in touch with me mm-hmm. and to connect us, me, Brett and I, with uh, very interesting people along the way. And it's so nice to know that my friend Louise, uh, who I've known since grade one, trusted me enough with her good friend Leslie Tallman, who joins us in the studio now, to, to share a message that's very important to Leslie and uh, to a minimum of one in 300 Canadians plus their families, right, Leslie? This is a disease that I have never, had never heard of until Louise connected the two of us. It's the Canadian, you're talking here on behalf about something called hemochromatosis. So why don't we start with talking about that and what exactly is hemochromatosis? Okay, hemochromatosis is a genetic disorder of uh, iron metabolism, which causes um, the body to absorb and retain uh, too much iron um, from dietary sources. Uh, This iron overload builds up in parts of our bodies that are not designed for iron storage, such as all our essential organs, the heart, the brain, the liver, the kidneys, the pancreas, and especially our joints. About 10% of... um, Healthy people absorb about 10% of uh, their dietary iron. Uh, Hemochromatosis uh, people, they absorb four times that amount, and the iron never leaves our bodies. Well, it's interesting because I had heard certainly of iron deficiencies, but the, Mm -hmm. uh, right, you smiled there because that's, a lot of people are familiar with that, probably know someone that has dealt with an iron deficiency, but this idea of of your body absorbing more iron than it needs on a multiple factor uh, very much surprised me. So how does it work? Why, what parts of the body and and what's responsible for uh, that storage and why is it not being permeated and and being uh, created as as waste or evacuated from the body effectively? Well, it kind of, um, I guess, you know, my, lucky me, the ancestors uh, from many, many, many years ago, when they were collecting heme and it was scarce, uh, the body would just retain the iron because you never knew when you're going to, you know, have, have, let's say, meat next or whatever. And so it mutated into this gene. And like now, um, there's so much uh, extra iron in things that uh, it's causing chaos in uh, hemochromatosis patients. Um, The symptoms are basically uh, you get chronic fatigue, loss of body hair, uh, sudden weight loss, um, abdominal bloating, thyroid problems, elevated liver enzymes, uh, mood changes, uh, and especially uh, pains in all the joints. You know, it's it's funny because I'm pretty sure the only time I've heard of hemochromatosis is on an episode of Dr. House, and uh, even then I didn't quite know what it was. And and according to uh, according to some of the facts here you presented with us, it's one of the most common genetic disorders in Canada, yet this is honestly the first I've heard of it, and I'm sure there's plenty of listeners out there that are in the same boat. 
Why do we know so little about this or why, is, why isn't this in kind of the, the public eye? Well, until recently, many doctors were trained um, to believe that hemochromatosis was a rare disease, a rare disorder. It's not a disease, it's a rare disorder. And uh, the patient's symptoms would be often uh, overlooked uh, or they attributed to other causes. And um, because the early symptoms are very subtle, um, the the most people with them aren't, aren't tested or diagnosed for hemochromatosis. And I'm trying to um, uh, get the, well, I'm, just a, I'm in the process of it, of getting uh, the government to get a national guideline so that if people have diabetes or cirrhosis of the liver or uh, thyroid problems to test if they're in the ethnic group uh, for hemochromatosis. And I just want to stress that the ethnic groups really affected are Northern Europeans, such as uh, the Irish, the Scottish, English, French, Ukrainian, and um, anybody of of, uh, Celtic origin. And Manitoba has a high Mm -hmm. population of all these ethnic origins. And so like when someone's diagnosed, let's say with diabetes, for example, they're not tested to see if hemochromatosis was part of it or a heart condition, or arthritis, rheumatoid, osteo, whatever. And it, it's costing our health... Um, uh, healthcare system? Healthcare system a fortune. Right. And this is really preventable. This is what's really sad, is because if you don't get tested for this, and you have it, and it goes without um, getting diagnosed, it's potentially fatal. This is the problem. I was tested, and I ended up... Uh, my numbers were up to about 800. And a normal person has 50 oh my. NGs wow. of iron in them, walking around with 50. Wow. And some people have up to 2,500 to 3,000, and they don't even know it, but they know it, their bodies are giving in. Like they're, the iron is toxic in their body. Is this as much then an issue to educate physicians as it is to educate the public? Yes. That's so that's what we're do. doing this afternoon. Leslie Tolman joining us here. We're talking about a disorder. I called it a disease. Is it a disease? No, it's a blood. Uh, it's uh, it's um, a disorder, a genetic disorder of iron metabolism. Okay, so there we go. We're learning already. It's called hemochromatosis, and this may be the very first time you've heard of this disorder. And we're inviting you to uh, listen very closely to our discussion uh, this afternoon. Tristan. I just have to ask, what what does the test involve? Is this Do they just take blood samples and test it that way, or is yep. it a little more extensive? Yeah, um, I won't get into the real nitty-gritty of it, but it's basically a serum ferritin box you have to tick off on your blood work. It's just, it's just a simple blood test. And then your uh, iron numbers come up. So mine was a bit, were a bit elevated. And then she sent the numbers to the uh, diagnostic lab at the Health Sciences Center. And then uh, I was uh, diagnosed with uh, genetic hemochromatosis and we went on from there. So what were some of the symptoms you were experiencing before that would lead you to, you know, to suggesting, hey, something's not right here. You need, you need to test me for okay. something. I actually was, was feeling, I thought, okay, but, but oh. having said that, I was a flight attendant for 43 years. So having said that, I was always jet-lagged, so always chronically tired. Mm. Number two, joint pain just from those carts and everything else. And so I thought that was normal. And then when I went to my, see my doctor and she told me I had this, then it kind of all made sense because now I'm retired and, and I, I feel much better. And I, so often it's the retrospective, right, mm-hmm. when you go, oh, yeah, it makes sense that I have that now, right? Because right. for a long time, like you say, I was fatigued or I had joint pain. And uh, are, are the, you, you listed off a, a considerable list of, of potential uh, symptoms and things that you might deal with if this continues to go undiagnosed. So if you get diagnosed, how do you deal with this? 
Okay. Um, actually, there's no cure, uh, but most of this is, pre- uh, is preventable. Uh, the treatment consists of a series of what's called phlebotomies. And I know that sounds like, oh, a phlebotomy, but no, it's really, uh, they just take blood from you. And I went uh, every month uh, for two years. And if your numbers are really, really high, you might go twice a month or three times, whatever your doctor uh, needs you to do. And once you're de-ironed, like my levels are down now, and I go four times a year to Canada Blood Services, and I give my iron-rich blood, which is fantastic for operating rooms and whatnot, Mm. and um, I'm giving back. I'm giving my blood out to help people. So there is a benefit uh, to others once your uh, diagnosis is successful. And we understand what's going on. We should take a break mm-hmm. and update the weather forecast. And then we'll talk more about this disorder that most of us have never heard of. But one in 300 Canadians will be affected. If you are of a variety of ethnic backgrounds, not exclusive to, but mostly English, Scottish, Irish, any of the Celtic backgrounds, French. Northern European. Northern European, including Ukrainian, you said. And is that Scandinavian as well? Mm -hmm. Okay, there we go. So you'll want to be paying attention to this. Why don't you give us the website, uh, Leslie, so people can go and and do uh, uh, some investigating on their own if they're wondering, geez, uh, I I might want to ask my doctor about getting tested for this. It's a www.2too. TooMuchIron.ca. Fantastic. Leslie Tallman in studio with us. She deals with hemochromatosis and she's uh, joining us this afternoon. He's Tristan. I am Greg. We're talking about hemochromatosis, a disorder, blood disorder that you may not have heard of before. It's, well, your body holds too much iron. And, you know, here's a text message. Uh, maybe a, a joke uh, altogether uh, when I'm seeing some of the responses back and forth. But a lot of people are just saying, when they say iron, is that the metal or something else, Leslie Tallman? It's uh, the diet uh, from your diet, the iron uh, that is absorbed from your diet. Like iron-rich foods, let's say like you have a big uh, T-bone steak that has a lot of iron in it. And that'll uh, stay into your stay in your body and it'll uh, store nicely in your liver and all your other essential organs. It just doesn't get released, whereas your normal person... They release it. And so obviously if those organs are holding on to iron, it makes it tough for them to absorb things that are good for you, yes? Does it distract your organs from doing other things or is it the iron itself that is is causing the problems? It's the iron itself because it's toxic. So it is causing the problems like, uh, for example, like cirrhosis. You, you may not even be a drinker at all, but many mm. hemochromatosis patients die of cirrhosis um, because iron loves to, to be stored there. Leslie, we've kind of discussed uh, the symptoms and sort of the science behind it, but on a personal level, how has this uh, disorder impacted you? Uh, it just, um, I'm committed, I have a lo- lifelong commitment now to um, uh, my diet and uh, to having an iron balance. And uh, there's uh, also uh, my uh, Canadian blood services I have to go to for the rest of my life. And also I s- have, see my doctor uh, regularly to check my iron levels. And um, But no, I, I this is my mission right now, I guess. Maybe that's why I got it. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? That's a great way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you've got something uh, that could impact your life, so make the most out of it and yeah. inform the public. I mean, I'm learning a lot today because I'd never heard of... Let me, let me try saying this three times here. Hemochromatosis, hemochromatosis, hemochromatosis. And it's that, yours now. And Thank what you. nationality are you, Tristan? 
Uh, myself, I am, come to think of it, uh, primarily French and German. Oh, a lot of French and German get heritage. Get those levels yeah, checked. definitely. And is this, and, and I guess now I'm, I'm a younger guy here, but I guess this is something that could affect anybody of any age. Well, it, it actually affects males first uh, because uh, they Great. don't they don't uh, have uh, a monthly situation like the women do. Okay, so uh, it hits women uh, usually after menopause. But uh, there could there was uh, for example uh, a young athlete, uh, thirty eight years old, and uh, he was just getting more and more crippled up and crippled up and having. Uh, Symptoms after symptoms, and the doctors just couldn't find it, couldn't find it. After year number four, he looked like he was 80 years old, and then a doctor did diagnose him finally with hemochromatosis, and he got de-ironed, and now he's back uh, back to be, being an athlete. It's interesting. We just got a text message from a listener who said, uh, my name is Tim, and I'm a carrier of the disease you're speaking of right now. My father has it, and it took the life from my grandfather. So, Tim, thanks for sharing that. I asked him, do you live with it successfully? He says, yes. As a uh, carrier, I do, but I don't have to give blood, uh, but I could give it to my children. Obviously, this could be passed on. So uh, that gene, it's critical to uh, find out if it's in if it's in your family, right? Absolutely. Leslie? Yep. So once genetic again, testing. so genetic testing, uh, if you're what, what 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 is the um, what is the is. Uh, when you get a blood test, what is it that you're you're asking them to test the, for? The serum ferritin. Ferritin, yes. So if that ferritin level is normal, doesn't mean you couldn't be a carrier. So true. So under what circumstance, if you know that you have uh, up your family tree, your father, your grandfather, etc., you might want to have your kids tested. I guess right. is the point. Absolutely. Okay, I got that out eventually. For those of you just <laughs> tuning in, uh, we're talking about hemochromatosis, and you listed a lot of these earlier. But uh, complications and uh, symptoms of this are chronic fatigue, depression, abdom- uh, abdominal pain, aching joints, particularly in the knuckle and first joint of the first and second fingers. That's incredibly specific, Leslie. Well, I like I'm not a doctor, but I, I know that uh, uh, I think when you have problems with your liver, it, it causes all sorts of um, issues with everything. And I just want to add that uh, there's bronzing of the skin included with this. So people look like they have a permanent tan. Mm. And um, yeah, uh, that if it's middle of the winter in Winnipeg and you're still got a brown, brown tone to your skin, that's not good. I guess we're out of time. I, I, I'm just I'm soaking all of this in because I find this fascinating. It's it's you know we think we have a pretty good uh, uh, handle on uh, the diseases and the disorders and the conditions out there, and yet in spite of our vast medical knowledge and and the incredible advances in in technology uh, and biology, you know somehow there's still some diseases like this one or disorders I should say like this one that affect one in three hundred Canadians that. People like myself are just learning about today. The website is too much, T-O-O, too much iron.ca if you'd like to learn more about this. Leslie, thank you for bringing this to our attention. And uh, we'll thank uh, the folks at the Canadian Hemochromatosis Society, uh, Brenda in particular, for uh, helping us out in terms of educating us and getting us ready for this interview. It was uh, very informative. Come back and see us again. Okay, it was my pleasure. Tristan Field-Jones with uh, Global News and Weather next at the top of the hour. This is Greg Mackling and Tristan Field-Jones on Mackling and McGear. I could not tell, and you probably could not tell at home either or at work or in the car. Leslie Tallman was very nervous about her visit with us this afternoon. But she I did thought fine. She did, I thought she yeah. did fantastic in educating us about 
Hemochromatosis. We've got a couple of different text messages this afternoon. Uh, about Tim sent us a text message saying that he's actually a carrier, so his kids need to be checked genetically for uh, that disease, that blood disorder. And uh, also got a text message here from Ralph. I wanted to read it, Tristan, before mm-hmm. we move on here. Hi, my name is Ralph, and I had hemochromatosis after I had a kidney transplant. Had many... Um, Fibotomies? It's a medical term by the sounds of things that we can't pronounce. For the first year, after 20 years later, I now have to take iron supplements. Interesting. So as we learned, hemochromatosis means your body has too much iron after the uh, kidney transplant. Ralph says, I now have to take iron supplements. So uh, that's obviously a, a big change for him. A gigantic forest fire situation is something that Oof. British Columbians are becoming a little bit too familiar with. It's our flooding, really, right? Uh, yeah. This is the scourge of British Columbia in terms of living in yeah. BC. I'm an Okanagan guy, lived there for four years, some of the best years of my life, loved living in Vernon. Uh, but every once in a while, forest fires, and they can be deadly, they can be incredibly destructive, and we are in the heart of one of the most active forest fire seasons British Columbia has seen in a long time. Estefania Duran from our sister station in Vancouver, CKNW, joins us now. And Estefania, uh, this is an emergency, pardon me, an emergency situation for the folks in British Columbia. I think you described it perfectly, and some people are even calling it a burning hell. I mean, emergency support services, reception centers have had to be set up. We have about 230 fires burning across the province, and 10,000 people have been forced out of their homes. Saskatchewan and New Brunswick and sending help over to B.C. So it is a state of emergency throughout the province. Estefania, what really shocked me about uh, the fires here was how quickly they spread. It seemed to me even just a few days ago, everything was under control and suddenly overnight, dozens, if not hundreds of fires break out. Is that still a concern that even more wildfires could break out as the temperatures continue to climb? It is. And it's certainly surprising. I was writing a story Friday night about a a fire that was 700 hectares in size, and all of a sudden is close to 4,500 hectares. This is something that is very dependent on the weather. And because we have multiple fires, as I said, we have hundreds of fires across the province, then that makes it even more difficult. And then we also have to take into account that the weather sometimes doesn't play well with the firefighters. So we've had wind, hot conditions, very dry weather, and all of that can make a small fire turn into a big problem very quickly. Estefania, a lot of people scratching their head, even in the valley. I have family and friends still in the Okanagan. And with such a wet spring, in fact, flooding on on Okanagan Lake, which is very unusual for that part of the world. And then to be so quickly, almost feeling like the snap of a finger, you've gone from fairly wet conditions, a wet spring into this ultra dry, ultra hot weather in so many parts of the province. It, It has to be almost mind boggling. It is. We've gone from one extreme to the other. We've gone from battling snow, getting one of the worst snowfalls we've seen in years. I think we got an approximate of 10 snowfalls in Vancouver alone, having to scramble for salt to all of a sudden having to fight firefighters. I mean, fires and have the firefighters be out there 24-7, having people have to leave their homes 
it's just it's completely an extreme and it's something that unfortunately it's very early in july so we don't know if this is going to get worse or is going to continue throughout the summer Estefania, uh, I have to ask, I mean, this is a, a, a potentially devastating situation. Do we have any reports of injuries uh, or fatalities so far? And, and also, uh, when it comes to the property loss, have we lost any structures yet? What's, what's the latest on that? Unfortunately, so far, we don't know about any injuries, but it's still very early. We're hoping that the number stays at zero and that people are able to be evacuated safely. But we do know that certain structures have been affected. And again, the the size of, of the damage that has been happening, we still don't know. BC Wildfire Services has been trying to communicate with us as best as they can, but understandably so. They're very busy. They're receiving a lot of phone calls of people that are concerned and they don't know what to do. We're getting an update actually right now at 1 p.m. One of my colleagues is on the call. So hopefully then we'll get a better understanding of how serious it's been and what the damage has been for the province. Of course, it's 1.12 in the afternoon in Vancouver, 3.12 here. Estefania Duran from CKNW in downtown Vancouver joining us now. And Estefania, before we go, can you give us an idea of the major population centers that are most affected by these wildfires? And of course, this could change uh, overnight again to Tonight, as I know, it's uh, in the mid-30s in a big part of uh, not only the Okanagan, but also all the way up into the Kootenays and into the central part of British Columbia. Another hot, sunny day. Yes, there, currently there are about a dozen wildfires of note. And what that means is that there are fires that are considered out of control. One of the larger ones, of course, is a 100-mile house. It's about 5,000 hectares. It's 0% contained. And that's affecting about 1,000 people in the community. We also have Soda Creek. We have Williams Lake. We have Princeton, which is about 1,500 hectares. And about 300 homes are under evacuation order. We also have Dunn Lake. So so unfortunately, that means that there's quite a lot of homes and evacuees and worried people just having to rush away from their homes and their towns. Estefania, thanks for taking time for us here in Manitoba on this very busy day in the newsroom at CKNW. Hopefully we can catch up with you again, if not tomorrow, the day after. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much. Estefania Estefania Duran from our sister station, CKNW in Vancouver. Instead of dropping the call for Estefania, I shut off my microphone for a moment there. <laughs> so I apologize for that. And just a quick note here, Greg. I'm looking at the forecast for Pentington, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's what they have in store for the next seven 34, days. 34, 35, 32, 31, 34, yep. 35. Yeah, to today is the coldest, coldest day it's going to be. 29, a high of 29, humidity at 31%, Tuesday 30, Wednesday 30, and it just goes up and up and up, 32, 33, 34, and, and, and you know, not not particularly windy, thankfully, so that won't necessarily fan the, fan the flames too much. But just, for, just don't forget yeah. that those fires become a weather system exactly. within themselves and can create their own windstorms inside them, yep. and it is tender dry in a lot of these areas. When we were last year on the west side of Okanagan Lake for a week, we almost had to had to cancel our holiday because West Side Road was affected. We could not get to where we were going from one part of the road, had to go the long way around. And when we were sitting on our balcony one afternoon, we saw a fire break out right across the lake. Wow. They got it out in about 45 minutes, 
only because it was in a very populated area up near Predator Ridge. But it is a fact of life, uh, as I mentioned, as mosquitoes and flooding and cold winters are for us. Uh, that's the uh, downside to uh, life in uh, parts of British Columbia. The forest fire threat will keep you up to date. So many of us have friends and, and family out in that part of Canada. Speaking of weather, we have a weather update and also traffic. Coming up next, it's Mackling and McGarry with guest host Tristan Field-Jones. Look out the left, the captain said. The lights down there, that's where we land. I saw falling, star burn up, above the lost Vegas sand. The song is very familiar. Is it familiar to you, Tristan Field Jones? Yeah, it sounds, it rings a bell. Okay, so this is Joni Mitchell. Right. From Saskatchewan. We celebrate all things Canadian, whether they're from Saskatchewan or not. Bob Irving included. Right. Yes. Clay Young. Clay, you're from Saskatchewan, aren't you, originally? Yes, sir. Yeah, sorry about that. I'm sorry? I said sorry about that. Are you converting to a Bomber fan this year? Is that what I heard somewhere? Yes, you, you read that correctly. Is that right? Yes, you did. <laughs> no way. Well. That's fantastic. The Rough Riders have a maniac running the operation. <laughs> so you're out. For that reason, you're out. One of many. Very good. We'll talk more about this down the road. Uh, Clay Young standing by. He's got 680 CJB Sports coming up at 325. Jack Jacobs going into the Blue Bombers Ring of Honor. That is very exciting. Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. This flight tonight. Who sang it best? Joni Mitchell or the band we're giving tickets away to see. You tell us who we're giving tickets away to see. You get tickets to see said band. That's the trivia question yep. to give away the tickets. Does that make sense? I think it makes per- I, I, You know, Greg, I think this is the first time uh, for a prize that we've done something like this where we're not telling you who we're giving tickets away for. You have to guess, and that's your question. That's right. It's, it's a so, kind of a Jeopardy-esque style question. It's almost the answer is the question. I need to think about that one for a second because I think you just broke the matrix. Did I break it? A little bit, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm guilty of that from time to time. 204-780-6868 Based on the song playing now, who are we giving tickets away to see right now on Mackling and McGarry? You had a little tidbit of uh, something or other you wanted to share with us. Uh, before we uh, break here, uh, Tristan, for sports? Uh, yeah, so just a, a little fact about uh, uh, we, you talking about how when fires get big enough, they form their own windstorms and their own systems. Well, a true story. So fires can actually form what's called pyroclastic clouds, and which and those clouds... Thunderstorms! ...can become thunderstorms, right. essentially. Now, what happens is sometimes they can become dry thunderstorms where there's very little rain that falls, which makes the situation worse. But when there's just enough humidity in the atmosphere, it has happened where the, the clouds that come from the fire get enough moisture that it ends up raining on the fire and the fire puts itself out. I suspect there are also situations where it generates thunder slash lightning that also starts other fires. Right. That's that's what. Yeah, exactly. So but it can but go the, both but ways. It can go both ways. It I can. didn't know if the there's second enough part. humidity in the in the atmosphere. It can actually extinguish itself or part of itself. What did you call those? What kind of clouds? Pyroclastic clouds. Pyroclastic clouds. 
Uh, I don't know if Clay Young is a pyromaniac or otherwise presently or in the past. It's your birthday, man. We've got to give you a hard time today. It goes with it goes with the territory, brother. Uh, all I could hear was Clay Young and pyromaniac. Yes, pyroclastic clouds. We we tried to tie it all together. Have you got any cake left, by the way, Clay Man? There's still some left in the um, cafeteria area there. Fantastic. In- how, how about whilst you update us <laughs> on sports, Tristan and I will go get some cake. That would be nice. Very good. It's Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Sports is next. So, Tristan, we uh, visited uh, with CKNW in Vancouver earlier mm-hmm. this afternoon. Well, actually, earlier this hour. And um, Estefania Duran telling us that uh, there are 12 what they call serious fires, and hopefully that terminology is uh, absolutely correct, uh, in British Columbia amongst the hundreds that they are battling right now. I was startled to learn. I thought the number was higher um, because it was relayed to me as a higher number um, probably about a week ago as to how many of these wildfires are human caused. It's about one third. Mm-hmm. And the British Columbia government is suggesting that they may impose some very strict fines for those who decide to contribute, whether it's accidentally or not, to the wildfire situation. Here is the headline. Toss a cigarette out your window, lose your car. B.C. government. The B.C. government said in a news release, uh, this was just uh, Thursday, July 16th, 2015, Tristan. B.C. government said in a news release they are considering harsher punishments for careless people who start wildfires, including impounding cars for tossing cigarette butts out of the window. We must send a clear message to those that carelessly start wildfires that their behavior will not be tolerated, states release. Well, they clearly have not imposed those types of fines yet, but to know that one-third of these fires are human-caused is very disturbing to me. In fact, one person I spoke to in British Columbia thinks that they should impose in the summertime a campfire ban all like anywhere, regardless of the quote-unquote fire danger. Well, if we go to this for a second here, I mean, flick your butt out the window, possibly lose your car as an extreme example. Um, and I'm all in favor. I think you're, I, frankly, I think you're an idiot if you if you think that you're going to, on a hot summer day when the humidity is less than 30%, and you think tossing a cigarette butt in what is arguably all just Tinder, and that's not going to cause problems. Yeah, I, I agree with the consequences, but the problem is, how do you enforce something like that? Unless you actually see it, which, hey, if a patrol sees it and catches it in the act, great. But otherwise, you know... It, it, and, well, clearly doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing isn't encouraging enough people from no. not doing it. Clearly it still happens. Do you not think people might think twice if something as serious as losing your car was an option? If there happens to be an RCMP officer or, or a city policeman in one of these affected areas uh, on your tail when you flick a cigarette butt out your window? Maybe when they're on your tail, but I think that's part of the problem already is that people aren't thinking to begin with. So even having something like this in there, you might hear it and say, okay, I understand, but while you're having your cigarette, you might not think about just, and if it's a habit of yours to just flick it out the window, wow. you might not even think you might not even think once about doing that because you're so used to doing it. That really bugs me. To imagine that that people would have that attitude. I I think so. And it may not even be out of malice. It may just be out of carelessness. 
You know, you're used to doing that. Well, it's a bad habit and and they're tough to break. It's often said that you can't legislate against stupidity, but if exploring the idea of harsher penalties for careless acts means more people get the message, we must do it. Well, we're uh, two years and counting and uh, it hasn't happened yet. I, I, th- I think it's something that, that should be seriously considered. Sure. Uh, the Google Doodle. You showed me something today that yes. I didn't realize. Is this every day when they have the Google Doodle that you can click on it? Not every and day. And learn no. about whatever it is they might be honoring on that per- particular day? Not every day, but uh, almost every week they have a Google Doodle honoring somebody. And if you look at it today, it looks like uh, some potato skins uh, and flour as well. So I clicked on it and I thought, what the heck is this all about? Eva Ekeblad, uh, and I, it's, she was a Swedish noble, and uh, she was a Swedish noble who discovered how to extract starch from potatoes, paving the way for gluten-free baking and alcohols such as vodka, moonshine, and potato wine. It would be her 293rd birthday today, born July 10th, 1724. And so Google decided to honor, effectively, if you're a big fan of vodka, you can thank <laughs> Eva Ekeblad, and I... Apologize if we have some of our uh, uh, Swedish listeners out there, Scandinavian listeners out there. Feel free to correct my pronunciation. I'm going to open the phone line seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight if uh, Tristan has said it wrong. <laughs> Tell me I'm an idiot. Tell me no, that I'm you're uncultured. Not an idiot. You just didn't know. Uh, but again, you can thank her. It'd be her two hundred ninety third birthday today. And uh, hey, if you click on that Google Doodle, you learn a little bit. So I love when they do those because you always learn something from a figure you may not have heard of. I didn't know they ever did that. I thought that they oh, yeah, only. For- I thought that they only uh, had the interaction active ones once in a while when you can play a game like when they have the pac-man one but did not realize you could click on it and it would automatically take you uh to whatever it was that they were honoring no the first one actually the first and and i happened to look this on on one of the stories that was related to this but the first google doodle i think was actually uh, released in 1998 let me just make sure i get that confirmed here uh yeah august 30th 1998 the very first google doodle is born uh, as uh, the founders pay tribute to Burning Man, which is a festival oh, that takes place that. in Nevada desert. I remember that. In Nev- Nevada desert. Yes. So, yeah, the Google Doodles have been around for a while. Hey, uh, by the way, this is a really cool text message. What's happening? <laughs> oh, that was from my computer. My apologies. That's what? called... Oh, that's... Ugh. What is that? Uh, I don't know what that was, but I'm glad it was just some sort of music. That's uh, from one of the websites I was looking at. Okay, fair stupid enough. autoplay ads. Oh, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. One of the websites you were looking I at. I thought that was part of your segment there. <laughs> a smoker um, and I carry a bottle of water. The lid... <laughs> this is the problem with text messages. Sometimes it's the autocorrect. The lid, it is my bad habit to be a smoker... <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Text it again. Sorry for the bad grammar. I was saying that I am a smoker and I carry a bottle of water with a lid and I put all my cigarette butts in it. Thank Perfect. you very much, yeah. listener. That's a really actually a good piece of advice, if you ask me. Yeah, certainly bring a bottle or a container or um We're getting a text as well. Highway seventy five southbound is open, has reopened after that uh tragic uh, accident uh, earlier today in which uh, two individuals lost their lives. I guess we have to pause and uh, update. Traffic and weather coming up next. Let's do that. Gary, the courier says it's a $100 fine for throwing out your uh, cigarette butt onto the ground. Mm. We need more enforcement just on the uh, ugliness factor here in Winnipeg. Tristan Field-Jones in for vacationing. Brett and McGarry, Greg Mackling here. 
And uh, he's not on vacation yet, but one of these days, I suppose, Richard Cloutier will take a day off. Richard Cloutier and Towards Julie the end of the month, I think, early August. Buckingham. Oh, you still don't know for sure? You just well, you never know around here. Yeah, fair enough. Never know. How was your weekend? Good weekend? Uh, at Folk Fest most of the weekend. I uh, oh have my. covered it before, but this was the first time I actually spent, didn't camp, but spent the weekend at Folk Fest. Did the tarp run twice? You know what the tarp run is? Mm. <laughs> I do, but you will explain it much yeah, I'm better than I. I'm actually not familiar with it. So. so what you do is early in the morning around, you know, some people will line up starting at 6 o'clock in the morning. I got there for about 8 o'clock and you get a number. And that allows you to come back at 10 o'clock when the gates open with your tarp and they corral you. They put you in a corral. And in this case, on Saturday morning, I got number three. Sunday morning, we got number two. And they put you in a corral, so all the number ones, twos, and threes get together. And you're not allowed to run once they open you from the corral on the main stage site. And you can set up your uh, 12 by 10 tarp uh, somewhere on the field. So obviously the number ones get close to the stage, number twos, and then the number threes. So you set up your tarp for the day. You, you know, affix it to the field using the appropriate uh, pegs, and then off you go to enjoy the other parts of uh, of the fest. We were on our way to baseball in East Selkirk on Saturday afternoon, and it rained for about 90 seconds. About and that it, at the and, Folk Festival, too. And it looked too. like there was no weather for dozens, if not hundreds of kilometers around, yeah. headed directly for Folk Fest, just to cool you guys off, It I was, uh, what a weekend. Uh, Lynn Scromita, Executive Director of the Winnipeg Folk Festival, will join us uh, some point between 4 and 4. 30 because they were approaching record crowds mm-hmm. there and so i experienced a lot of the folk fest on the weekend so yeah it was a little slow getting up this morning uh highway 75 south we yes. had uh, tragedy there well that was part of um the slow get up this morning uh in saint norbert and uh we'll have more on that f- double fatality of uh, the tractor-trailer driver and the dump truck driver, one from uh, Steinbeck, the other from East St. Paul. No seatbelts involved in that. Lots of other stories. And if you're scrambling still to find out what you can do with the kids this summer, I know Mm. you've got strategy in place to deal with your guys, but um, Amber Magookin from the Global Newsroom speaking with parents today about how they have rearranged their schedules to accommodate their children. A lot of it is if you can go part-time for the summer, they are going part-time, but We'll talk about that and ask you the question at 204-780-6868. And our buddy Mike Conkin, fresh on a beautiful week and hopefully a pretty good forecast this week, will be rejoining us. We'll find out what he did on his vacation. The traffic woes at the University of Manitoba are paralleled uh, by the Blue Bomber traffic woes uh, at only one other time, and that's about 9 o'clock during the week during mini U drop yeah, off. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? <laughs> that's true. Chancellor Matheson gets backed up uh, quite a distance. So if you're dropping off your kids at mini U, you want to go there earlier, not right for the nine o'clock uh, deadline. Uh, FYI, found that out the, the hard way this morning. Thanks, Richard. Thank Richard you. and Julie getting you safe, home safe, and informed from four till seven on the news.
Uh, just to wrap up the show here real quick, Greg, I know we only have a couple minutes, but we got tons of feedback on our topic from our first hour where we were chatting about uh, how uh, these extreme speeders were being caught by RCMP. And again, we're not talking 10 over, we're talking 173, 196, some ridiculous speeds. Mm-hmm. And so we initiated the conversation of uh, what should happen to these speeders. And if we're all going too fast, if speeding is a big problem, our speed limit's out of date. And... We got uh, several people called in and said, no, keep it slow. It makes it safer. We got a couple people who text us in, and I'll just read this one text here. I think 130 feels slow in cars today. In Europe, they drive much faster, and they do not have higher incidences of fatalities, which is true, but... It's called infrastructure. Exactly. And uh, the Autobahn is a perfect example of this. Uh, you may recall uh, Peter Cheney, who was the drive columnist for the Globe and Mail. He's had amazing driving experiences. He went for a cruise on the Autobahn, and he said that uh, in areas where there weren't speed limits, he was doing about 220. And it was such an organized... But here's this, in spite of those speeds, the Autobahn is one of the safest roads in the world. Well, because of the on-ramp, off-ramp exactly, situation? because of the infrastructure, because the drivers know what they're doing. And the thing is, as much as I'm in favor, I think some of our highways are too slow, the divided ones especially. I think the single-lane ones, yeah, not I'm so much. I disagree with you. Until we get those acceleration, deceleration, and turning lanes into full effect, uh, 110 is plenty fast enough. And, and in fact, 100, 105 might be too fast. You were talking about the... The East um, the Trans Canada Highway east of Winnipeg to the Ontario border, way too many uh, intersections there to well, exactly. travel safely and, and, at and, 120 or yeah, more. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. I think I think they are too slow. But having said that, though, I don't think those speed limits can be increased until we properly deal with those intersections, or we have service roads or something along those lines. Uh, and uh, again, I, there are many things that are wrong here. Uh, it's not just bad drivers, not just infrastructure. It's a it's a complex problem, but ultimately, I think it's you know we should start tackling this soon. And don't forget, in Europe, in Scandinavia, there are graduated licensing programs mm-hmm. at all ages. You have to have a special license to drive on the highways, on the autobahn, and guess what else they have that we don't have here? They have retesting. At, at uh, considerable intervals. In fact, f- I think it's four years in Finland as just as one example. We might have to talk about this as sure. we move through the week. He's Tristan. I'm Greg. Uh, we have business for you next, and then it's Julie and Richard straight through until 7 o'clock. And don't forget about our good buddy Charles Adler from 9 till midnight. At 7 tonight, it's Michael Shea and Bob Irving and the Coaches Show. Jeffrey Forche, as always, masterful in Master Control. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.